Well, good morning, and with Christmas joy, I want to welcome every single one of you to worship today. And for the honor and privilege we have of getting to experience the power and the majesty of this special time of year. I want to begin with a story of a guy by the name of Vincent McKenzie. It was back in 1997. It was December the 3rd, and Vincent McKenzie decided to rob a bakery. I don't know why he decided to rob a bakery other than he thought there was a lot of dough. It's a total dad joke right there. Anyhow, so he robs this bakery, and, um, and the cops find out about it, and this is a true story, and they start, you know, chasing him, and so he's in a getaway vehicle, and he's driving, and he goes to this place um, that he doesn't know, but there's a big parking lot, and it's a big kind of, uh, kind of white building, and uh, it's kind of nondescript, and he honestly thinks it's a mall. And he parks this car, and he runs in with the cops coming in hot in pursuit. But the cops kind of, as he starts to enter the building, they just kind of stop. And he cannot figure out why until he gets into the building, and the door is closed behind him that he has not run into a mall. He has run into the lobby of a correctional facility. To which the arresting officer said with a twinkle in his eye, there's nothing like a crook with a bad sense of direction. <laughs> we're in the midst of a series of messages where we're talking about revealing Christmas, and we're talking about revealing Christmas from the different dimensions of these different questions or angles, the who, the what, the when, and the where, and the why. And on this, the fourth Sunday of Advent, we are talking about where. The three rules of real estate are location, location, and location. And that's not only true in real estate, it's true with the nature of the Bible itself. Anybody who's been a part of this congregation who's had a privilege to travel to Israel know that the land itself speaks. If you've ever been to Israel, they often kind of informally refer to it as the fifth gospel because it seems to be a part of the story in such a way that it's a character in the story, that the land itself gives testimony to the glory of God. There's something about the geography that helps to tell about who God is and what he's done. And so the where is significant. And I want to share with you a familiar story it's the story of the Magi, but I want you to notice how this is a story about the question, where, 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 where? Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard that his was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem was with him. And he had been called together, all the people of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. He asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." And then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too 
may go and worship him. And they had heard, the, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I don't know about you, but the story of the wise men has always fascinated me. Because you, you see, they, they, there's this star, but the star only takes them so far. Like the star takes them back to their homeland, but they get to Jerusalem, and it's at this point that the three wise men have to ask for directions. They come to the, to the palace where the king would be. The, the star is projecting that a king is to be born, and, and that's the most natural place to go. And King Herod and all of his advisors and all of Jerusalem get really nervous as they ask this question because they know the true character of Herod. It seems that the star could get them a certain amount of the distance, but that they needed the scriptures. They not only needed the natural revelation, they needed the special revelation of God's word to tell them precisely where was the Messiah to be born. But have you ever paused long enough to wonder that you have these people who are, are likely diaspora Jews from the period of exile who come home, who are so excited for the Messiah, for the king to be born, and they come and they present themselves to, to Herod and to all of these biblical scholars, and the biblical scholars know, yeah, it's going to be in Bethlehem. That's what it says in the prophet Micah. Have you noticed the detail that they don't go with the wise men? Has that ever been as odd to you as it is to me? That there would be this heavenly declaration and, and you would have these, these outsiders that would come and say, we, we, take us around the last lap of the relay race. And they're like, yeah, it's in Bethlehem. Let us know if you find anything. Not a one of them goes. I think the point is this. There are those who know of Bethlehem. And there are those who go to Bethlehem. And not everyone who knows of the Messiah is willing to inconvenience themselves or to not be so skeptical that they're willing to go to search for the Messiah. Seriously, why don't they go to Bethlehem? It's not that far away. Let me see if I can illustrate. We used to live in the New York City area and in the New York City area, there was this famous New Yorker cartoon that I absolutely loved. It's with the heading, the, the New Yorker's View of the World. And so in this picture, you can see, you know, Ninth Avenue to the Hudson River, there's this little sliver called New Jersey. And then there's just a little bit of stuff in the middle, things that you fly over until there's another little sliver of California, the Pacific Ocean, and then Japan and China and Russia all the way over there. This is kind of the New Yorker's perspective of geography. We have dear friends who live in Iowa, and a couple of years ago they came to visit us, and they came like the wise men bearing gifts. 
One of the gifts was a t-shirt to our youngest daughter, Ashby, and this was the t-shirt that they gave her. I love this. Iowa. Oh, there it is. And we're laughing at this t-shirt, and I said, where on earth did you get this t-shirt? And he's like, it's funny you should ask that question. We got this t-shirt in this location here. This is the largest truck stop in the United States, and it's in Iowa. And I said, you realize you have confirmed every stereotype of Iowa by telling me where you got this t-shirt, that Iowa is, is not a place to be from, it's a place that you drive through. It is a place where you stop, but you keep going. It is a great place to be from, in other words. I think part of the reason that they don't go to Bethlehem is because we're in Jerusalem. And like the New Yorker's view of the world, they kind of look down on a place like backwater Bethlehem. And yet I don't believe that God closed his eyes and said, um, okay, here. Yeah, Bethlehem, that'll do. Well, let's, let's bring Jesus there. There's a reason that God comes to Bethlehem. And let me see if I can explain that to you in a new way. There's actually a board game, and it's a board game that's about the Holy Land. I've never played it, but I've seen it online. And, and one of the stops and things are these are the different paths that people would travel from north to south in the Holy Land that you could walk along the Jordan River, you could take a desert path, or is this one way that's known as the Way of the Patriarchs. The reason it's called the Way of the Patriarchs is because it was the primary north and south kind of windy corridor that's the biblical history. We know that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob from the stories of Genesis, we know that they went up and down this particular path. It is the way of our oldest ancestors, and you can actually, it's still much of it, is a hiking trail today through the hills. And so you can actually go on the route of the patriarchs, and you can hike there. A long kind of, it's also known as the ridge path, because this gives you an example of what much of the trail looks like in, uh, in Israel, in and so this is south of Jerusalem and south of Bethlehem. It's the way of the patriarchs. Why am I bringing this up? Why does God choose Bethlehem? Sure, it's about, yes, it's where David was born. It's known as the city of David, and David's the king, and Jesus the king. And yes, it's where Ruth is from, and it's where Ruth gets redeemed by Boaz, and Jesus is our redeemer. And yes, it's the way uh, and the place of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and, and yes, it's the, it's the house of bread, which is the truck stop for the way of the patriarchs. It's all of those things, but can I tell you something? As many times as I've preached Christmas, as many times as I've gone, gone to God's Word, and you know, just when you think you've seen it all at Christmas, God just hit me with a two-by-four of something that I had never realized before. Can I share it with you? 20% of the congregation is excited about that. <laughs> so I'm preaching to those 20% right now. The way of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's Jacob whose name gets changed to Israel, where we get 
the people of Israel, right? And Jacob's beloved wife is Rachel. And it was in Bethlehem where Rachel dies. Genesis chapter 35. Then they moved on from Bethel, and while they were still some distance from Ephrath, which is where we're getting closer to Jerusalem, to Bethlehem, Rachel began to give birth and had great difficulty. And as she was having great difficulty in childbirth, the midwife said to her, don't despair, for you have another son. And as Rachel breathed her last, for she was dying, she named her son Ben-Onai. But his father named him Benjamin. And so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Over her tomb, Jacob set up a pillar, and to this day that pillar marks Rachel's tomb. You can go to the traditional site still to this day of Rachel's tomb. And for some reason, Jacob denies his wife's dying wish to name her son Benoni, which means son of sorrow. And instead, Jacob names him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. He's the youngest. He's the runt of the litter. But he's not the least. He's not the one who is insignificant. Why is Jesus born in a stopover town, in a flyover country? Because it is the place where we're about to see tragedy become triumph, shame become strength, and humility to become honor. He's the son of my right hand. Let me geek out on this for a minute. Exodus chapter 15 and the song that is declared after they walk on dry land and the armies of Pharaoh are killed. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. King David says in Psalm 16, I have kept my eyes always on the Lord and with him at my right hand I will not be shaken. And so do not fear, for I am with you, the prophet Isaiah says. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And my own hand laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. But from now on, it says in the Gospels, Jesus declared, while he's on trial, near his death, But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of mighty God. And the Apostle Paul, 
who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at where? The right hand of God and is also interceding for us. No longer the son of my sorrow, now the son of my right hand. Shame becoming strength, humiliation becoming honor, and tragedy becoming triumph all along the ancient stopover path of the way of the patriarch. This is a picture of when he was a boy of Alexander Zolzhenitsyn. He was born in 1918 in the aftermath of the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. He remembers poverty. He remembers hardship. And one of his earliest memories was of the Soviets coming in and dispersing their gathering in church. His grandmother and his mother were not only the ones who raised him, but raised him in faith. But as he became a star student, and as he was mocked for his Christian faith, And as the Soviet politic became godless, Alexander walked away from the faith of his childhood. He not only was an incredible student, he became a diligent soldier. And he served in the party, and he served in World War II. He fought valiantly for the cause. And yet, while he was fighting for the Soviet Union, for the mother country, in private correspondence, he was very critical of what was happening in the way that the leaders were leading the country. They were spying on his personal correspondence, and even though he was an incredible patriot, and even though he had served his country so deeply. Here is a picture of him when they arrested him and took him off to the famous gulag. Here he was put under incredible and hardship of conditions where he was interrogated, he was beaten, and he nearly starved to death. You might recall the statistic of the horror of the six million Jews that were killed in the Holocaust. Do you know how many were lost during the terrible labor camps of the Soviet Union over the years? Sixty million. Alexander was faithless, godless, And he wanted to die. One day he was working in the fields and he just couldn't take it anymore. And without any hope, 
He stood up in the field and stopped working and leaned on his shovel, knowing that the guards would come over and beat him to death. There was a fellow prisoner who saw what he was doing, who came over and kicked his shovel from him leaning on it. And he took his foot and he drew the sign of the cross in the dirt. And he told Alexander that that was no way to die and no way to live. And through their friendship, and through him rescuing him from despair. Alexander discovered and rediscovered his faith. He survived cancer while he was a prisoner, and eventually he was set free only to not be welcome in his country, but to have to be sent into exile. He eventually found his way to Vermont, where he began to write an even more earnest. Alexander Zolzhenitsyn is considered to be one of the finest Russian writers of all time, up there with Dostoevsky and Tolstoy. And eventually, he was able to return home. Alexander discovered his faith in the most unlikely and darkest of tragedies. In the midst of the gravest of 20th century deaths, he found eternal life. He was walking, as you might say, in the way of the patriarchs. And like his spiritual great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather Jacob, he discovered this. Surely the Lord was in this place. And I did not know it. Jesus was born in a glorified truck stop. where one of the patriarch's deepest tragedies occurred. But the son of sorrow becomes the son of my right hand. We declare, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. And then we talk about how he rose from the grave and he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Sorrow has turned into strength at Christmas. That's where Jesus was born. Let's pray. 
Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you will give us a good sense of direction this morning and help us to understand the true nature of how you chose to enter time in history in a particular place. Help us to have the wisdom of the wise men to ask for directions, to know that this world cannot give us all that we have to get to where you are. Help us to turn to your scriptures and to not be like the scholars and the Herods of this world that not just know about Bethlehem, but who have the courage to go. And so help us to not have a condescending attitude of that that's beneath us. Help us instead to walk the way of the patriarchs and into the way of Jesus himself, who is our king and our redeemer and is the one who turns sorrow into the strength of your right hand. And so God, help us to discover that you can meet us in any place and it is where tragedy becomes our joy.